Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. As we suffer the lingering effects of COVID-19, cannabis retailers, while an essential business, still have to deal with customers that don't want to come into the store. That means delivery and curbside pickup options are booming. Here to tell us more about it is Socrates Rosenfeld, CEO of iHeartJane. Sock, welcome to Canada Insider. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? I'm currently sitting in Santa Cruz, California, so not a, not a bad place to be holed up. Not at all. And what is iHeartJane on a high level? iHeartJane is essentially a retail technology that allows consumers to shop online for their cannabis like you shop online for just about everything else in this world. And on the backside of that, what this provides for brands and dispensaries is a fully automated way to take every single product that's sitting in a, a retail physical or a physical retail environment and replicating that in real time to an online platform. Great. And Sock, can you share a bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started this company and what you were doing before? Yes. I actually never tried cannabis ever in my life until I was 29 years old. Um, I was in the army before that. I was, uh, uh, I went to West Point for college after graduating from there. I was an Apache helicopter pilot. And after I left the service, I, I experienced some challenges transitioning from a highly kinetic life and death decision, uh, making environment to being in a classroom at, at business school. And as much as I tried to figure this out on my own, whether that was you know trying to work out harder or trying to meditate more, for me, I couldn't find my balance again. And cannabis ultimately helped me find my balance. And then from there, I personally was experiencing all, all the well-being effects of this plant, started to talk to more military veterans, started to understand that um, they were also feeling better and healing themselves by using uh, cannabis. I traveled, I, I graduated from, from business school, traveled out to Silicon Valley, where I was consulting for some of the largest tech companies in the world. And I started to realize that technology, particularly with e-commerce, provides a, a wonderful experience for the consumer. Uh, we call it purchasing power. Essentially, you know, you can go on an Amazon or, or a Kayak and find exactly what you're looking for at the exact right time for the right price. You can read reviews from other people just like you. You can get recommendations. And we, back in 2015, when we were ideating on this, we, we had the hypothesis that in five years, so kind of like today, people will expect some kind of digital experience when shopping for cannabis. And we wanted to be in the position to make that a reality. And unlike other marketplaces, you know, Grubhub, Uber, um, even Amazon, I would argue, where they're essentially putting themselves in between uh, the buyer and the seller, right? When you buy something, when you make an order on Grubhub, they're taking about 35% from the sale out of that dispensary or the, that, that restaurant's profit. We don't do that. But instead, what we're trying to do is reinvent this idea of a marketplace so that everybody can participate, 
consumers, the tech company, and also the sellers in a really fair, equitable way. Um, and we, we think we can do that both from a technology standpoint as well as a business model standpoint. So we launched in April of, of 2017. Now we're the largest consumer platform in cannabis here in the U.S., supporting over 1,600 dispensaries across 31 states. Um, so it's been a, a really exciting run so far. Yeah, and you're doing a couple things different that I think uh, retailers will love and maybe other platforms will feel uh, jealous that they didn't start out the way you did with kind of the business decision. But uh, just first, what's it like to fly an Apache helicopter? <laughs> what does that feel like? Because that's just... That sounds cool. You know, I've never been a bull rider, but I imagine it's it's much of the same. I re- remember sh- strapping myself into an Apache for the very first time, and I had flown, you know, um, traditional kind of Bell helicopters, your, your normal traffic helicopter um, or news copter, and then getting into one of those. It's 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 not unlike what it <laughs> kind of the experience of being an entrepreneur, where at times you're just holding on for dear life and. Uh, you know, you um, are just trying to focus on what you can control in the present moment. Um, and it really teaches you that to balance what we call being inside the cockpit and outside of the cockpit, you know, making sure the aircraft is flying, but also keeping ahead of what's coming down the pipeline. And there, I'm sure there's some parallel there with being an entrepreneur. So as fun as it was to fly an Apache helicopter, I'll be honest with you, Matt, I'm actually having more fun and more exciting times uh, being an entrepreneur here with the Jane team. Um, yeah. But yeah, both exciting, I'll say. Just one last question about that, just because I'm geeking out. Yeah, please. You. So do you have like a visor that has something <laughs> where you can like, your eye, your eye kind of, what you look at, you can shoot at like right through your visor? Yes. You know, it's, and it's strange for me to talk about this because uh, I, I wish on the other side, on the other uh, side of that visor, there was maybe, you know, a joint or something like that other than a, a 30 millimeter uh automated cannon, but that's exactly right. So you, you, you strap on your, your helmet in an Apache and the technology there is amazing. And this technology has been there since really the late seventies, early eighties, where the, the sensors will follow wherever your eyes look. And, um, so will the weapon units. Um, and it's, uh, you know, you become the Apache when you, when you are the pilot of that, you really kind of immerse yourself into the machine and there's really no separation between you and, and the, uh, and the aircraft itself, which is, it's a remarkable piece of equipment. I just, again, wish it was used for more peaceful things, but uh, yeah, astonishing nonetheless. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we have got to move to a more peaceful planet. Uh, It's just, (laughs) Whoever puts down their arms first is at a disadvantage. You're trusting that right. who you formerly called your enemy is now going to be uh, oh. benevolent. And oh, it doesn't man. seem like the word we're, we're there yet. You know, uh, not that to say this is what we want to talk about on the episode, but um, you, could take, you, could, you could take that metaphor into the cannabis industry. where, And, and I feel very blessed that I was able to experience the, the, the tail end of a, of a medical market here in California where there was a, there was a lot more cooperation than competition. I'll say, because we were all in this together to, you know, move this industry from the dark into the light. And I am hopeful that we continue to maintain that to say, you know, we don't need to be the first coming to pick up arms and then force everybody else to, can we create a peaceful industry where everybody can win and everybody can, can provide value to those in 
to those who need it in areas that need it. Optimist, uh, optimism, uh, of course, but I, I believe that is the future of this industry if we do things right and take care of each other. Man, you did a great job of, you know, taking a Apache helicopter metaphor and transitioning <laughs> to the cannabis industry. I have not heard that done. So well, well done there, Sasha. Thanks, man. So tell me again, how many retailers are you working with right now? We're working with uh, currently 1,600 uh, retailers across 31 states. Yeah. Okay. And what would you say the primary benefit is if I'm a retailer listing right now and they're saying, yes, well, I have an app or I'm doing something else. Like what, why, why do I need this? And it was, yes. So I, I heard some good things about, I heard Jane and that's how I, why you're on the show. So I, I know a little bit about this, but talk about that a little bit if you would. Thank you for asking that. I, you know, just taking a step back out, even outside the cannabis industry, uh, because this is retail. And, and if you think about where retail has been for the past 30 years, ever since the dot-com, um, I think it's still 30 years. I hope it's not 40 years. Yeah, I think it's 30. But if you think about what's now emerged on the sliding, on a, on a spectrum of e-commerce, on one side of the spectrum, you have Shopify, WooCommerce. These are great companies. But what they do is they support individual micro-sellers more times than not. And why that is, is because let's say, Matt, you and I had a, um, a small little company and we sold dog beds for whatever reason. I'm just looking at my dog's bed and, um, you know, we want to sell online and we want to ship our products to the consumer. Well, there's no better tool than a Wix website. Let me get my Shopify plugin. I got my dog bed. Maybe I sell two sizes. Maybe I have three colors, a finite amount of SKUs not too much complication. We plug this in, away we go. We're, we're happy campers as, as direct-to-consumer sellers. Then on the whole other side of the spectrum, still direct-to-consumer, you got the behemoth that is Amazon. Amazon likes to call themselves a, a marketplace, but really it's, it's the Amazon show. No one, under, no one knows who the seller is. When you're buying your products, you're really buying from Amazon, Amazon's customer. What Amazon does is they inventory the product and they distribute the product themselves. So they're this massive um, behemoth, but the issue that we've seen in the past, you know, five, 10 years is it completely disintermediates retailers in the physical communities. So that leaves this middle swath. And I would argue the majority of retail sits in this middle swath where you are a, let's say a dispensary. On average, a dispensary in the United States carries about four to 500 SKUs. On average, a dispensary in the United States turns over their inventory 15% day in, day out. So if you're trying to maintain accurate digital representation of what's in inventory, that has required, really since the, the onset of the legal market before Jane, for you to manually reconcile what's in your store with what's being represented online. And I don't know if you've ever worked retail, Matt, but I have. And it is, there's, there's no time in the day to even, you know, go to the bathroom, let alone sit down on a laptop, reconcile what's in store, download a photo, write a description, upload it back onto your menu. And so what we've done is essentially because we can't go to direct to consumer, which I think is a blessing, we can't disintermediate the retailer, which again, I think is a blessing. Now what we've had to do is actually think less so as the retailers as 
you know, just the distribution of our network, but more so as really our retail partners. And so we provide for them software that can essentially automate e-commerce, meaning through point of sale integration, we extract all items in their inventory. We apply the right content directly from the brands, the photos, the descriptions, the taxonomy, effects, flavors, et cetera. And now what that means is retailers, whatever's being whatever products are sitting on their physical store shelves or in their delivery depots is in real time being streamed to their online digital menus without any work required on them. So what that means now is that they have a part of their business, which has been really the biggest limiter of their business. To think of a retailer having to build their own software is like thinking about MIT engineers trying to open up a dispensary. It doesn't really fit. Now what we're doing is we're saying to the retailers, Focus on what you guys do best and allow Jane to automate the really complicated stuff so that you can build your business on top of that. Again, in partnership with that dispensary, not in competition. And um, I think that model's worked out for us so far. Okay. So there's a big automation and convenience factor here because as you were mentioning, there's a lot of heavy lifting to look at the inventory, make sure the menu's up to date, people aren't ordering things that are out of stock. So that's right. a massive advantage there. And you integrate with how many different point of sale systems here? Because I know depending on your geography, different POS systems are popular and other ones are more popular here and there. So how does that work? Yes. Yeah, so we we um, actually have a few utility software patents on our ability to, through point of sale integration, automate e-commerce. And we integrate now proven real-time integrations with over 50 point of sale systems across the country. We're always looking for more. We say we integrate with every single one. Um, and the bottom line is whatever the client wants, whatever our partner wants, whether that's the dispensary or the brand, and they want us to integrate into, we, we'll go and do that and make that happen for them. This is interesting because you know your outward facing uh, benefit is you know we help your end customer find you and find your product and uh, for sale to occur. But behind this, the scenes, I'm imagining this API and what you're doing yep. and keeping invisible is a huge undertaking. That's exactly right. Really, you know, I got asked on a panel the other week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they asked, you know, and I was I was sharing the panel with Harborside and Charlotte's Web. Uh, you know, two of the most prolific, historical, I would call pioneering brands in their own respective verticals, retail and um, and, and uh, the brands or products. And I got asked the question, well, what is Jane doing to promote Jane? What is Jane doing to advertise Jane? And, and my answer was, it's, it's actually not about Jane. We, we actually prefer to be in the background. This is why we white label completely are e-commerce menus that live on the sites of the brand and or the dispensaries is because we want to be able to support them. They're the ones who are doing the heavy lifting. They take all the risks. They're opening their doors. They're hiring. You know, They're engaging with the consumers on the ground. Let's promote them in a smart, fair way. Not what we've seen in the past where you know, let's pit one against the other in LA and whoever pays us the most, we're going to promote. But exactly like you said, Matt, if you're providing great service, if you're carrying great product and you're serving your local community, as all retailers should, and you're doing it right, let us showcase that and connect you to more consumers who are looking for those products and those services. That's what I think we do very well. Let's talk a little bit about what the delivery and curbside pickup looked like 
in January and February and what it looks like <laughs> right. now. Like if someone didn't know what was going on, how would you describe the, the, the change? Sure. So, um, you know, and I think worth noting overnight when uh, back in, you know, early mid-March when COVID was in the pandemic was really scaring a lot of people. Um, number one, cannabis, cannabis industry, you know, prove, proving to the world we are essential. And number two, I think the cannabis industry stepping up and, and providing a vital service during a time when it's perhaps most needed uh, in the history of this country. Um, so I, I want to take that opportunity to be like, I, I think we're moving really in the right direction and showing the yeah. world that, that we're here to help. How things have changed. So at the beginning of the year, online throughput, meaning all orders at a dispensary, about 17% of those orders were going online. The, you know, the 83% was going offline. Now we're sitting at about 50-50. And that was really an overnight switch. And so, you know, for dispensaries that were thinking, oh, automation and this digital experience is really a nice to have, but it's, it's more secondary to my core business. And that is serving people in my store. Now that it has completely reversed. Now it's digital first. And then maybe the in-store consultation as a secondary service to, the, to only really those who need it. Mm-hmm. And so pl- I think Planet 13 is a, is a great part of that I like to highlight because they, they've adapted so well. And they're, they're a very big dispensary. But here they were in Vegas. You, if you've been to their showroom floor, it is a, looks like a casino in and of itself. It's beautiful. You know, they've obviously spent a lot of resources making that experience wonderful. But now nearly overnight, due to the pandemic, they had to close those doors and, and shift completely to a um, delivery only. And so what we're seeing now is delivery has ticked up significantly in, in states like Nevada, California, obviously, Colorado starting to think about it. Um, Florida, obviously, is a, a massive delivery market for us. But what has emerged, and I think you, you're alluding to that, Matt, is this curbside pickup is a very interesting thing. And what I mean by that is a dispensary like, like Planet 13 can maybe do a thousand deliveries in a day. And I'm, I'm completely making up that number. But they have to go and wait in traffic and you know load up the cars and they can only hold out so certain inventory. So it's actually pretty inefficient for the retailer to process a thousand orders via delivery. They could probably process a thousand orders in a couple hours doing curbside pickup. So that's actually where we've seen a lot of innovation go is in this, what was overlooked curbside pickup, because that really didn't exist. If you ordered for a pickup, you'd actually walk into the store, maybe go to the back through a chain lane and then pay and pick up your product. Now, really what you do is, and depending on how the store wants to run the flow, you'll, you'll say, Hey, I want to order for pickup. I'm driving in a white sedan. They assign a parking spot for you. You drive up to it. You pop your trunk. And they they uh, they drop the cannabis in. You hand you hand them your cash, and away you go in a matter of minutes. And so now, what has emerged is what what the digital world is proving to retailers is that actually it's not something to be afraid of, but it's actually something now to adopt because you have a lot more efficiencies, you get a lot more throughputs through your store. The consumers love it because you no longer have to wait in line. And by the way, you're keeping safe and, and physical distancing. And also, now what that's doing is if, there, if you do want to build an in-store experience, in a consultative experience, which I think should never go away, particularly in cannabis, 
Now you, you are identifying only consumers that really want to come to the store, right? The, the, the worst thing that could happen is you, you order online, you go to the store and you still have to wait in line. Maybe you experienced that pre-COVID. Now it's, hey, there are separate lines, there are separate entrances for curbside online orders. And what that's doing now is maybe you're a new consumer to the space. You want to actually go and talk to someone. You can do that, do it efficiently. And once you find the product or brand or category that you like, now you're plugged into their digital network. Now you can order for delivery, curbside pickup. And that's how we're seeing the evolution of retail is new customers come in, they get familiar with the product set. They understand, you know, flavors, profiles. Okay, this helps me sleep. And then once they find the, the products that they want, they convert to online users. And that's either through delivery or curbside fulfillment. So I, I think we saw this change happen overnight, Matt. And I, and I honestly, I don't think this is going to go back. How well are the different retailers executing on waiting for, or I should say, when a customer pulls in, they're assigned to a spot. I mean, I know that I'm just at a short attention span and every, every second feels like a minute. I'm like, do they know I'm here? Do they know how long am I going to have to wait? Like, yes. how, is, it, is it a huge spectrum on how well they're executing on messaging? Like, we know you're here. It's good. We're getting your order ready. It's going to be ready in five minutes. Or how does that work? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, we're all learning together. Um, th- six months ago, no one was doing curbside, <laughs> not even Best Buy and Whole Foods. Now everybody's doing it. And so we're all, it's actually quite exciting as an entrepreneur to where, if you think about it, the cannabis industry is starting at the exact same place as other retail verticals. So let's go and innovate together. But to your, to your question, does this vary? Absolutely. Are there still circumstances? You know, now we can do, um, uh, you can reserve a certain time slot down to almost 15 minute increments. So retailers are getting tighter and tighter and better and better and more accurate with their execution. And we're also unlocking different things from a, a tech technology standpoint to help that, you know, now put in your license plate number. Hey, you have to pick from one of these three parking spots. When you arrive, hit this button, this will message back to the staff and they'll come out all those different nuances that's as a tech company, that's what we love because let's go and build very flexible technology and software to where we can say, okay, Jane curbside module, how do you want to run your curbside? Do you have assigned parking spots? Do you require you know, someone fill in their license plate number? Do you want them to hit a button and notify you when they've arrived? Should they wait in line out in the back? All these different nuances because no retail operation is the same. The software should be nimble enough and flexible enough and adaptable enough to support the retailer however they want to slice and dice their operation. And again, that's, you know, that's really exciting for us. And that's going back to this partnership uh, ethos at our company. We only uncover those wonderful ideas when we're working in partnership with our dispensaries. And, and I, again, I really feel blessed that we have developed that relationship with our, with our retail partners. So this is where I think you kind of stand out is how you get paid. We talked a little bit about how Grubhub taking 30, 35% from, uh, you know, restaurants, which restaurants are really low margin to begin with. So I don't know yep. how that works, but talk a little bit about how you get paid and how that's different from other platforms. Yeah, that's it's, it's a great question. So thank you for asking this. Um, you know, a lot of people, 
mistakenly think that Jane is gr the Grubhub of cannabis. And iHeartJane.com is a marketplace that looks, you know, you could argue it's kind of like Grubhub. I, I, I won't bore your audience with how I think we're different, um, but that is part of our business. Really what we do though, unlike Grub, like I'm going to pick on Grubhub for a little bit, Matt. I'm sorry for all the, the Grubhub fans out there. And it's no, nothing against anybody at the company. I think they've done some great stuff, but we're learning from them. What they've done for the, you know, they started 10, 15 years ago um, out of Chicago. And they came up with this unbelievable idea. I love takeout. Could I have some kind of aggregated platform where I can go as an end user, find all the restaurants and just order online for delivery or pickup? And there was a phenomenal idea. And then they went to the restaurants and they said, hey, restaurants, we're going to plug you into this marketplace where now if you were a you know, Chinese food restaurant on the south side of Chicago, you now can actually access customers on the north side of Chicago. And if they're looking for Chinese food and you get good ratings, now you're gonna, we're going to bring more customers to you. And they loved it. And it was a really um, virtuous relationship we had, they had going. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, they started the take rate at taking 5%, which to your point, Matt, restaurant industries operate, the restaurants operate on like one, 2% margin. So no one's really making money, but they said, okay, let us take 5%. The restaurant stopped. Okay. That's fair. What ended up happening though, was their plan all along was, I don't know if it was their plan, but it's how it, how it unfolded the more restaurants they got, the more leverage they had to increase the take rate. Because now if they had every restaurant in Chicago on their platform, they could go to you as the Chinese food restaurant and say, hey, we started you at 5%, but I'm sorry, we're now going to have to increase this to 10%, 15%, 20%, all the way up to 35% take. And guess what? They didn't do anything differently. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to increase my take rate from you and here's the value I'm going to give you in return. Really, all they did was use their aggregated marketplace as leverage against the individual seller, which, if you paid attention to the public markets, Grubhub stock went down because DoorDash and Uber came in. DoorDash and Uber said, all you guys provide is online menus for restaurants and you charge 35% take. Well, we could do online menus for restaurants. And we could just charge 34%, 30%, 25%, right? And now this is what's going on to the point where some, like in, in Oakland, Santa Cruz, where, where we're based, cities have actually capped the take rate because it's unfair to the individual restaurant. So long way of saying, Matt, when we were looking at this space, we said, that is unsustainable. How do we create this virtuous cycle, this model where can we charge on a SaaS $300 a month all in for any retailer or dispensary or, or brand that wants to join our network and use our automated e-commerce. And then from there, can we create a network where we can sell other things, again, not at an egregious price, to where if we can do that at scale, and create monetization in other parts of our business? Could we subsidize our e-commerce business and keep the cost low for that small business corner dispensary in Santa Cruz? And I give my credit to my team and, and the investors that had the foresight and the 
quite frankly, the, the courage to say, hey, let's go give this a shot. And now what we're seeing is we have minimal churn. No one really leaves our network. We provide really good software in partnership with our, the supply side of our business. And what that's doing is it's allowing us, again, in partnership with, with the brands and dispensaries to grow the size of the pie so that we can all monetize and keep costs low for everyone. That's, that's our ultimate goal. And you know, I think we're well on our way to setting that flywheel, which is exciting. And hopefully, you know, if you look at, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but actually there's a company out in the restaurant industry called Chow Now that prices not on a, ter- a percent take, but instead on a monthly SaaS, and they are disrupting and, and, uh, that restaurant industry. And my guess is that they're probably going to force the hand of an Uber and Grubhub to where now they're going to convert to a SaaS. That's my hypothesis. But I think the days of going to a small business and saying, hey, we're the tech company, but you cook the food and you deliver the food and you, know, you pay the taxes and the rent and everything and hire all the employees. But that doesn't matter. We're still going to take 35%. I think those days are done. And I'm hopeful that other tech companies who have the aspirations to do something like this in cannabis think otherwise, because that's not going to create a healthy industry where we can work all in unison instead of, you know, in a zero sum game where the only way we can make more money is if we take more money from our supply side. That's not the game we want to play. Yeah, it's definitely um, much more sustainable and uh, retailer friendly, no doubt about it. Yeah. Now, can you integrate into other parts of the business apart from just the uh, POS? How, how, how does that work? Yes. You have hit, touched upon probably the biggest pain point for any retailer is the integrations. If you think about what a retailer has to, has to manage outside of the physical infrastructure, but from a tech standpoint, they have a point of sale system. They have an e-commerce solution. Hopefully, it's Jane. They have a CRM solution like SpringBig or Sprout. They have a payment solution like CanPay or Hyper, PayTender or something like that. You know, they have in-store displays like Divi. They, they just have all these decisions to make. And then when you make a decision, you buy a point of sale. It's really frustrating when it doesn't talk to your in-store display. Or when you buy a payment solution and it doesn't push back into your point of sale. Or when you, you know, use OnFleet as a fleet management, it doesn't speak to your e-commerce. And so what we've done is we've actually said, okay, where should our core competency be right now? Where should we double down, triple down, quadruple down? And really it's in the integrations. And so now not only do we integrate in over 50 point of sale systems, but now we integrate into every payment solution, nearly every CRM solution, I think every in-store display, fleet management. And so now what has occurred is you have these large MSOs or at least large single state operators that are utilizing Jane as kind of the software backbone. Say, okay, I use Jane and Jane is this connective tissue that makes my point of sale actually speak to my payments, which actually speaks to my CRM, which speaks to my fleet management. And we can connect all those dots, which is really exciting. And again, that's really our, I won't hang our hat on many things, but systems integration, data architecture and cleansing, that's what we do very well. Great. And 
you're not a SaaS developer. I mean, you're a helicopter pilot. <laughs> how, how did how did you uh, how do you even know where to start when you're creating a SaaS product here? And yeah, there's certain things you have to worry about because I mean, if <laughs> if iHeartChain goes down, you're not getting love letters. You're getting you're, like people are putting pins in a voodoo doll of Socrates. So, oh man, yeah. Um, it's a it, you know I ask myself that question every day. Um, uh, I say that kind of jokingly, but. I love this, this metaphor with the Apache. I was a pilot. I was a commander of a company. So I had about 50 soldiers, eight aircraft, and I had to maintain that in Baghdad, Iraq, 24-7 for an entire year. Kind of like I'm, a, I'm a, you know, a CEO of a company. We have about 50 headcount. And th- why I draw that, that metaphor is even as a pilot, I didn't know how to turn the engine. I didn't know how to fix the engine and maintain the transmission and download all the data and read the weather and, you know, look at the Intel. I had specialists who did that and I trusted and took care of and supported the experts. And that's no different than what I do now, Matt. I am not the expert, but I take care of the experts on my team and I help them grow and we learn together and that is how you build a team. And that's what I was, that's what I learned in the army. Any success I ever had in the army was because we did it as a team. Any success we have at Jane is shared. And so there really is no one guy leading the charge. It's all of us being experts in our own fields. And it's really exciting to see that all come together. All different people, all walks of life, all different passions, all different expertise all kind of coming together to move the mission of Jane forward. And uh, I tell you what, as fulfilling as it was in the army to do is, is equally as fulfilling, if not more to do it here in cannabis, because I, I, I truly believe, you know, we're writing history as we move forward. And we take that position very seriously at Jane, the things we do, the things we say, the technology we produce, how we communicate and partner with our dispensaries and brands. That's going to set precedent for years to come, not only for Jane, the company, but, for everybody else who comes behind us, all the other tech companies, we want to say, hey, let's do this the right way. Let's learn from other tech companies and other industries, and let's make sure we take the best and apply them here, but also the stuff that we can improve upon. Let's do that. You know, so to your original question, how do, I, how do you build a SaaS company with technology? You attract, retain, and grow special people. And I'm grateful that we have special people here on, on Team Jane. You know, I watch how this is evolving so quickly and COVID-19 certainly been a catalyst, but just technology in general before that is just really moving quickly. I feel like in five years, like I'm going to think about a cannabis product, a drone's going to emerge a minute later and shoot, shoot a vape pen into my mouth. It's like, where, but I know that's being, you know, I'm joking around, but sure, sure. where do you think in the next three to five years improvements will be made where it's going to be like, we're going to remove more and more friction points. There's not much friction now, but I feel like that's coming. Yeah, you know, maybe not as sexy as a, a drone that shoots a vape pen in your mouth, although that would be pretty neat. You know, maybe Jeff Bezos and his team at Amazon is dreaming something up like that. For us, though, we, what we see to be the future, particularly we obsess about the future of e-commerce, is we don't think the future of e-commerce is going to look like Amazon. Amazon has been around for 30 years. They, they, they run a lot of things. But 
I don't think you're going to see another company emerge as the next Amazon because Amazon has done a phenomenal job at structuring the uh, the chessboard to make sure that no one can build another Amazon. Zappos tried it. Wayfair tried it. Jet.com tried it. They all failed, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the reason behind that is that they, they will just wait for you to show improve where margin is and they're just going to undercut you. But if you also think about what, what's happened with Amazon is they found their own limitations. Again, they inventory the product and they have to deliver the product to you. They have their 747 jets and 18 wheelers and that's how I get my toothbrush you know, to my doorstep in two days. Actually, I think the future of e-commerce, instead of going to an Amazon, will go to the company or companies, I will say, that are able to completely digitize all of existing analog retail infrastructure. How do you take the dying shopping mall and transform that for the digital age? How do you take the local corner dispensary in Santa Cruz and transform them into the digital age without overpricing, without overcomplicating, without creating more work for these small businesses and retailers? How do you do that? And I think the cannabis industry is ripe to prove and leapfrog other retail verticals. Every other retail vertical has been anchored on direct-to-consumer, other than alcohol, really. Right? If you think about it, when I say, hey, Matt, let's order something online, you're really thinking about, okay, is this going to be mailed to my house? But there are, and Matt, I don't know where you're based, but you know, I'm not too far away from San Francisco, Oakland. The products that I'm looking at on Amazon I bet are based somewhere in the Bay Area or California or the United States sitting on a store shelf somewhere at a small business or a retailer that's desperately trying to sell that product. Right. What if we could create a system where you as the end user can be afforded the same level of convenience and curation, you can compare by price, you can read reviews, you can bundle products, except instead of it coming from just one seller, Amazon, it's coming from all available sellers across the country. And I think that's where the future goes. That's where we're really excited. And I think that's what we're using this cannabis industry for, not only to help and support this industry, but prove to the rest of the world that in doing so, we could pr provide a, you know, a new definition, redefine what this means to be a tech company working with physical infrastructure so we don't run into a same scenario as an Amazon or a Grubhub but these tech companies are working actually in unison in partnership with physical retail businesses. I think that's where the future will go. Do you think there's any possibility of Shopify buying FedEx and actually ex executing that strategy? <laughs> you know, I, I, per perhaps. But again, Shopify it is, is going to support that small micro seller who can really already go and, and, and mail his or her product in the mail. The, the really, the overlooked, everybody's kind of focusing on it. You got Etsy, you got Shopify, Wix, Zoot, WooCommerce, right? They're all supporting that little micro seller. No one's supporting J. Crew. No one's supporting Macy's and Sears. No one's supporting that hardware store or the local grocery store in Santa Cruz. Those are the ones left behind that can't use Shopify due to their limitations. Can't use Amazon because they're the competitor. And so they're left with build, either building it themselves or being left in the dust and having no digital tool to advance their business. 
And this is where Jane comes in. And I I think we're we're proving it here in cannabis because largely these are fragmented small businesses. And hopefully, you know, one day we can prove to the rest of the world that perhaps there is a better way to shop online. Well, Sock, where are you in the capital raising process? We, um, you know, we're always talking to investors. We're really very interested in forward-thinking investors who aren't trying to jam an old model, a Grubhub, a Yelp, and stick it into this industry and say, hey, make it fit, but instead can build something from scratch on the ground with the retailers in cannabis to build truly a, a tech solution for this industry. So we, we raised our Series B last year. We have no reason to raise again for a lot of time, but we are looking at the opportunities we have before us. We are accelerating our business faster than ever before. We are scaling into different business lines faster than ever before. We see the opportunity to continue to, to carry that momentum. So always talking to investors, no, no formal raise planned anytime soon, but uh, when the opportunity arises, you know, hopefully we'll, go, we'll be able to make it happen. Okay. So for accredited investors that are listening that are interested, is there a list they can sign up for or anything or just keep on checking on an investor's tab or something on your website? You know, send me an email. Uh, I'm always looking to connect. My email is sock, S-O-C, at iheartjane.com. Shoot me a note and uh, we'll get on a call. Okay. And sock, a couple or a few personal development questions to help listeners get a better sense of who you are as a person. Although I feel like we've got a pretty good sense. Helicopter (laughs) to cannabis entrepreneur. (laughs) Is there yeah. a book that's had a big impact on your life or way of thinking hmm. that you'd like to share? Many books. Um, but one that I recommend to any entrepreneur, quite frankly, any leader, uh, is a book called Endurance. It's a story of Ernest Shackleton and his um, expeditionary crew as they went out to go and explore um, and traverse uh, the Arctic and be the first ones. I won't spoil the story for you, um, but their boat crashes and the story begins, okay, what do you do now as a leader? How do you take care of your people in a time of uncertainty and absolute fear and death all around you? How do you maintain normalcy, organization, accountability? How do you stay productive? How do you find the small victories and celebrate those as a team? So that book is really powerful. It's a wonderful story. It's a true story. And something we go back to and revisit as a team at Jane all the time. So as you mentioned, you're an Apache helicopter pilot, West Point graduate. I've never met a lazy West Point graduate or <laughs> Annapolis graduate. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. But don't ask my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's one skill that you feel like that wasn't necessarily taught in a classroom, but you've taken away from your experience uh, in the army and at West Point that you feel like you use, like, wow, I really leverage that skill a lot. Wow. That's a great question. Many of them, I will say I left the West Point, not really remembering what I studied in the classroom, not really any tactics that I learned. Uh, That was kind of more on the job, but really what I walked away was some of the deepest friendships I had ever developed true love there and uh, values, not values that were written on a wall, but what really courage means. What does persistence really mean? What does loyalty 
really mean, again, not read out of a dictionary, but lived and observed. That's what I got away and pulled from. And so applied now, fast forward you know, 16 years to today at Jane, I'm working with uh, people who I admire and love and trust and respect. And we have values that are lived and upheld and breathe every single day. And uh, those, that's why, in my opinion, coming out of West Point, there's a certain standard there that you can expect from graduates. You know, the same thing is true here at, at Jane. No matter who you're talking to on the team, there's a certain standard there, whether it's customer support, partner success, sales, all the way up to the CEO. Respect, love, kindness, that's really what we try to maintain and uphold here at Jane. So, and, and I think that started from my time at West Point in the Army. Okay. And here's a Peter Thiel question for you. What is yeah. one thought you have that most people would disagree with you on? <laughs> um, if you ask my wife, there are many thoughts. Um, I think, you know, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty bullish on, I think a lot of people think that uh, cannabis drinks is going to have their time in the sun. I agree. So that's not one that people disagree with me on. I think the pet category has yet to see their time where a lot of these pet owners, I, I don't have children, but I got a, a white fluffy dog we call Larry. And, you know, I give him CBG, I give him CBD. He's healthy. He's 15 years old. He's running around like a puppy. You know, I'm, I'm not giving him these pharmaceuticals. And I think we're, we're starting to wake up to that as humans. I think we're going to start waking up to that, you know, for our, our loved pets. And so I, I, I say that the pet category will be a very strong one in the future, but I don't think a lot of people agree with me right now. Okay. Well, Sock, as we close, how can listeners learn more about iHeartJane? You know, please uh, sign on, iHeartJane.com. Go place an order. Let us know what you think. We're, we're always open to feedback and, and hearing uh, what consumers and brands and dispensaries think. Shoot us a note at info at iHeartJane.com. And, you know, we, we, we just uh, appreciate everybody's business. And the last message I'll say is it's not relevant, Matt, to this conversation. But, you know, just continue. I hope we can continue to just take care of each other. Uh, this industry was founded on community I think with this, this is a cross-section of many different things, particularly around you know, social justice now. So this industry is moving in the right direction. We're trying to merge the past with the present to the future. We're trying to take care of everyone. And it's really an honor for us as a team to be involved. And uh, again, I hope that as we move forward, continue to take care of each other and ultimately make sure this plant is accessible to anyone who needs it. Sock, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. You've got a lot of exciting things going on, and I hope you'll come back and share updates when you can. Absolutely, man. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canna Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.